You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to The Authenticity Show if you haven't already done so wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. That means like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our YouTube page. Our guest today is David Mayan. David Mayan is the founder and program director of Sleep Recovery. He holds certifications in advanced neurofeedback, neuroanatomy, and neurophysiology, neuropharmacology, as well as alpha-theta training for relieving the symptoms of PTSD-related trauma. He's also the practitioner of a form of Tibetan Buddhism called Mahamudra in the lineage of Chogyam Trungpa. And it's interesting how his spiritual path has influenced his choice to help people regain normal sleep. Well, good evening, Satch. Good evening, Carlos. Nice to see you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. And we have a really awesome guest here tonight. I can tell already. We were chatting a little bit and um, I like this guy. I don't know what it is about him. There's something about him. Mm. See what kind of magic we can make today. All right, I like it. I like it. That's cool. So, who is this guy? Well, this is David Mayan. And who, hey, who are you? My name is David Mayan. <laughs> I've heard I that told before. you that. Did yeah. you, are you really David Mayan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the flesh. <laughs> That's so cool. And I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks Pleasure for Pleasure to be here. Yeah. There is a rumor that you have a cure for insomnia. Uh, Shh, don't tell anyone. And yeah. I'm curious about this because uh, I know Carlos and I, I can speak for both of us, Carlos, we are insomniacs. Mm. And we just chalked it up to that, you know, one fact we learned recently that, you know, most geniuses are, are insomniacs. So we're just going with that, mm-hmm. right? Until, yeah. until otherwise, right? Yeah, so yeah. I would love to find out about this. Okay, cool. Well, I think the first thing that we need to address is the term cure. So in order for uh, a cure to be a reality, there has to be some level of perfection. And with the human species, there's no such thing as perfect sleep. The only uh, mammal on the earth that I think can get perfect sleep is the dolphin. Because they figured out a way to be able to have one hemisphere of their brain sleep while the other one is awake. Mm-hmm. And then they switch back over. And that's pretty damn perfect. I want to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to learn that too. You know, also birds do that. Do they? Uh, you, oh, if I you, didn't know that. Yeah, if yeah. you have if you have a bunch of birds on a wire, uh-huh. the two birds on the end, okay, all the rest of the birds in the middle will sleep. The bird on the far right will keep its right eye open and the left eye closed, and one hemisphere will sleep while the other stays alert. And the bird on the other end does the same thing, so it's a survival mechanism that's for the flock. Awesome. Yeah, amazing. Cool? Yeah, yeah, but anyways, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I just had to Fucking spit amazing. that out. That's yeah, awesome. So um, with human beings, there's no such thing as perfect sleep. Therefore, there's no cure. But there are certain ways and means to be able to get substantial improvement and to have that improvement uh, maintain itself uh, long-term. So before we get into um, sleep recovery, we'll talk a little bit more about um, the Mahamudra path. Mm. So once an individual is able to practice Mahamudra for a substantial amount of time, there's a choice that needs to be taken. And, you know, it's kind of metaphoric and then it's kind of not, but it's called the bodhisattva vow. Mm. And so you get comfortable enough and astute enough in the realm of compassion and open tender heart 
that you make a decision, you make a commitment. And that is, is you just, you choose to lifetime after lifetime, uh, reincarnate to, uh, alleviate suffering in the world. And that doesn't mean that you're going to create perfect unsuffering, right? But you uh, had commit yourself, instead of going into nirvana or going into the Buddha realms and hanging out there and bliss out permanently, you choose to come back and come back as a human to help other people get out of suffering. And I believe that I've made that choice a number of times and I have made that choice in this lifetime. So how I go about doing that is I look at the things that are happening in humanity that are causing the most suffering. And one of the most torturous things that a human being has to experience is not sleeping for an extended period of time. It's the worst possible demoralization that a human being has to suffer. So that's where I targeted my Bodhisattva practice. Hmm. So in 2000, I came down with uh, a kind of rare sleep disorder called myocolonus. And myocolonus are these brief ticks or jerks that you get uh, as you're falling asleep or while you're asleep. And they started out mild, but then they got you know, to the point to where it was becoming more and more of a problem. And uh, I was down to about two hours a night of sleep. Jeez. And I was running a business at the time, and I had a four-year-old daughter, so it was bad. And I got to the point where I couldn't work. And um, a friend of mine uh, had gone to see a woman named Margaret Ayers, A-Y-E-R-S, who was one of the inventors of our field of neurofeedback back in the 60s. She and two other men were hired by NASA to do neurofeedback on the Apollo astronauts because they were having problems with having seizures in the cockpit, in the, in the space capsule. And they used neurofeedback to raise their threshold for resistance to seizures, and it worked. What was causing the seizures? Pressure or something? Well, this is like the federal government and their mentality is that they couldn't stop fumes from the rocket fuel leaking into the fuselage. So, <laughs> so they were taught the, the the astronauts were being toxified. So instead of finding a solution for that, they decided to reverse engineer it and just raise the threshold. So mm. don't get me started. On oh my god! Yeah, we yeah. could go off on that. Don't topic. get me started I'm on that. Just hearing that. Oh but anyway, god. that was sounds logical. That was yeah. the birth of that was the birth of our field. So. Okay. He said, you need to call Margaret. And, and he said, I didn't have a sleep disorder, but this woman uh, took away my cluster headaches, which were so bad that one week out of every month, I was in a dark room with a vomit bucket and excruciating pain where you're like wanting to end your life every five minutes. And I went to see her in 1985. I haven't had a cluster headache in 15 years. Nice. So he gave me her number and I called her and she was very kind. And I told her what my symptoms were. And now I had gone to three psychiatrists, two psychologists, and a $4,000 Siberian shaman who promptly disappeared with my $4,000. Right? <laughs> but when you're desperate, you now can't that's sleep. That's a magic trick. Yeah. Right. When you're desperate, you can't sleep, you'll go to that level. Yeah. Nobody could help me. Nobody even had a word for what was going on with me. So I told her what my symptoms were, and she said, yeah, you've got myoclonus. And then she asked me, did either one of your parents have epilepsy? And I said, yeah, my dad had petite male seizures. She said, yeah, you inherited a variant form of that. Gosh. And then I asked her, now again, I am out of my mind with exhaustion. I asked her, can you help me? And I just waited, it was the longest moment of my life for her to answer. And she's very cavalier, she said, yeah, yeah, we should be able to help you, you know come on in when you want to come. And I started crying 
uncontrollably, hmm. absolutely uncontrollably. And she was so kind and just stayed present with me on the phone. And uh, we made an appointment. And 12 sessions later, those seizures were gone. I started to sleep. And it was weird, man. I mean, I went to her office in Beverly Hills. It wasn't fancy. It was there was kind of dust everywhere, you know, and the like cat and stuff like that. And it was filled with these senior citizens. And I sit down on next to this guy, and he's reading the L.A. Times, right? It's when we still was reading the newspapers, and he's thumbing through it with his right hand. And I said, "Hey, what are you in for?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I had a major stroke, and the entire right side of my body was paralyzed." And I'm looking at, I'm doing this with the newspaper, and I'm thinking. This guy is either the most brilliant pathological liar I've ever met or something else is going on. Because he was thumbing through it with his right hand. With his right hand. Yeah. And no awkward movement or dynamic in his hand at all. He had done like 70 sessions with her, but she had taken away uh, the paralysis with what she did. So she didn't even specialize in sleep. She specialized in stroke and traumatic brain injury. And as an interesting side note, she developed a protocol for people in comas. Wow. where she'd hook them up, she'd hook up the leaves to their head, and she had this light that would flash at a particular rhythm, and she would lift their eyelids up and, and flash that light in their eye. And the, eye, the flash was connected to the brain waves that were happening, and she brought Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield out of a, a, a coma after his, um, he had a major stroke. Wow. And the doctors told his wife and his kids, look, you need to make arrangements because he's not going to come out of it. She brought him out of it. And he spent the last 14 hours of his life conscious, aware, joking, loving his family. And then he had another stroke after the 14th hour and then he passed away. Oh my gosh. But she did that for dozens of people, literally. Mm. So after I got stable, I asked her, I said, how many people in your field specialize in using this technology for insomnia? She said, oh, none. And I said, why? She said, well, most of our field is... Um, is uh, populated by therapists and they're kind of lazy and they don't want to deal with grumpy people. But it was at that moment that I realized that this is the perfect way for me to practice the Bodhisattva vow, you yes. know? And so that was the beginning of it. And I was still running a, another business. And so I bought my own system almost like a toy and started playing with it, you know, and I got good at it. So in 2004, I went and got the credential to do neurofeedback through uh, EEG Spectrum International. And then in 2008, uh, right before the recession, I started Sleep Recovery. And so Sleep Recovery is the world's first innovative insomnia clinic of its kind. And it's still basically the only clinic who does what it does the way that it does it. Mm. So over the course of these last 12 years, I've been able to take technology and repurpose it specifically for insomnia. And as far as I know, nobody else has been doing that. Wow. Yeah. Mm. As a brief segue uh, in honor of Rodney Dangerfield, you know why he got those strokes, right? No. It's because he gets no respect. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> that's yeah. why. Yeah, that's what I it just was. had to say that in honor yeah. of the great right. Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Um, so... All in all, how, how long would you say you've been doing this neurofeedback then? What's, what's the... Well, um, professionally, I've been doing it since 2004 when I got my mm -hmm. credential. So that's okay. probably the best place to start. Yeah. Okay. Right. Awesome. So maybe could, could you um, take a minute and for, for any listeners, um, kind of give them a, just a, a real quick rundown of what is neurofeedback? How does it work? What's the equipment like? Mm -hmm. um, just mm -hmm. kind of, what is that? 
Well, neurofeedback has gone <laughs> through a number of um, technological and evolutionary um, phases. So the neurofeedback that, um, that Margaret Ayers used with NASA was very, very simple. And it was basically a one-trick pony. And the technology now has far surpassed that. So neurofeedback is based upon the premise that the brain is highly self-intelligent, that it knows about itself, it has its own separate personality, it has its own separate agendas, and that basically it's running the show, not us. And the best metaphor that I like to use is that the brain is like a 2,000-core supercomputer with unlimited RAM and unlimited hard drive space, and it probably has its own cloud storage that we're not even aware of, right? And our ego and our personality is like a little crappy piece of Windows 95 software in the corner of that hard drive, <laughs> right? But that little piece of software thinks it's running the show, and it's not. And scientifically, they were able to prove that. Uh, they did the study that proved basically that self-will is a joke, mm -hmm. that we don't really have self-will, that the brain and its inherent self-intelligence makes the decisions for us mm -hmm. a full two seconds before it delivers it to us and allows us to think that we made it. Mm -hmm. And that's every decision we've ever made in our entire lives, right? So talk about humility, right? We don't even wow. just do it up here. I mean, it's been in here and here. It's oh, yeah. heart and your gut sure, and sure. other parts of your yeah. body. It yeah. outsources. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, neurofeedback kind of followed the allopathic model of Western medicine, which is don't get to the source, treat the symptom, right? And so what, it, what they did is they developed these protocols that were supposed to uh, be used for anxiety or depression or ADD or ADHD, right? So they're chasing the symptoms of this stuff. And it worked kinda, but not really as good as it should. And all my credentialing was in that type of neurofeedback. It's called uh, 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 1020 neurofeedback or classical neurofeedback. And it was overcomplicated. You know, the protocol for anxiety would work kind of with one person, the other person, it would give them panic attacks. Right, because everybody's brain's wired a little bit differently, and so I got really frustrated. And um, it was at that point that I started looking around for, um, you know, a platform or a series of platforms that I could repurpose for sleep recovery. And so that started the journey of finding out how insomnia manifests in humans, because nobody really figured that out. Right? I mean, we looked at doctors and researchers and the sleep medicine community, and nobody really cared because they were only interested in treating the symptom. So they created Ambien or Lunesta or Klonopin, right? And now they're using Seroquel, which is like a sledgehammer for the brain, mm -hmm. right? And so they weren't really interested in drilling down to find out why. So here's what I found out is that insomnia is not a neurochemical imbalance like most doctors think. Therefore, medications don't work. And they don't. if they do work, it's only for three or four nights and then they stop working. And then people have to increase the dose and then there's the problem with addiction and so on and so forth. And the entire medical industry tends to follow that path. Now the people that are doing it, the doctors, they're good people. They care about their patients, they care about their families, but they've been classically trained into this one track mind. And they kind of know it doesn't work, but they don't have anything else to work with, mm -hmm. you know? And so 
I believe that the nature of insomnia is not neurochemical, it's bioelectrical. So we have a whole symphony of electrical activity that courses through our brains all day, every day. And um, it's responsible for everything we do, how well we walk and talk, uh, how well we move our arms and legs, how calm we are, how much anxiety we have, how well we sleep or don't sleep. I also worry, was able to ascertain that <clears throat> the brainwave instabilities that are at the source of insomnia are hereditary. They get passed down from parent to child. So, and it stands to reason that people inherit hair color and eye color and skin color from their parents. They also inherit brainwave patterns from their parents. So what do we do with this brainwave instability, right? Do we keep throwing drugs at it, which obviously hasn't worked, right? Or do we try to find a new way to approach it? And, and that new way needs to honor the inherent self-intelligence of the brain. Because most of Western medicine thinks the brain is three pounds of stupid, right? That it has no self-intelligence, that it does not have the ability to exact changes for itself to or for its own benefit, right? So we treat it like it's a stupid organ. It's not. It's not. So the brain knows that these instabilities are there. It also knows they're not supposed to be there. But it's a design flaw in itself where even though it knows these, uh, these uh, little mini power surges are there, it can't self-correct without like an outside mirror. So what I did is I started to experiment with different platforms of neurofeedback to find uh, how we could give the brain instantaneous, uh, uh, accurate feedback and deliver it in such a way that was non-invasive and safe to give the brain the opportunity to self-correct. Now, we'll get back to the allopathic aspect of it. So if you're listening to like binarial beats, mm -hmm. right, or shamanic drumming, it will create a theta state, but there's no feedback. There's no uh, returning information back to the brain. So as soon as the music it's ends... one-way communication. Right. As yeah, soon so. as the music ends or the drumming stops, the brain goes back to the status quo. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is take that information about the brain misfiring and feed it back to the brain through the auditory system. And this is where doctors kind of start swallowing their tongues because they're like, what? You know, you don't have to force the brain to do anything. And I say, no, you know, you don't have to allopathically do, do it for the brain by treating the symptom. And I say, no, you know, it's kind of like that Chinese, um, uh, idiom that if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Mm -hmm. If you teach a man a fish, he eats for a lifetime, right? So if you try to do it for the brain, the brain doesn't learn anything. But if you show the brain uh, what's wrong and you give it the opportunity to exact the change on its own, it will always remember that change, especially uh, that change, especially if it's for its own benefit. It's learning. Right, exactly. And the brain does never forget anything, ever, right? So over the course of 15 sessions, we have this process where there's two, uh, two uh, sensors on the scalp, one on the left hemisphere, one on the right, and this centrally pulls data, and that goes into software, and the software does like a Google search on that data, and it looks for where the brain is firing too much amplitude, right? Which are like little, little mini power surges that are happening in the brain, and those are the things that are responsible for insomnia, anxiety, panic, unresolved trauma, right? Uh, uh, inability to pay attention, right? Inability to enjoy things, um, the ability to meditate. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So 
once the software can ascertain where those instabilities are, 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 are firing, it feeds that information, again, through the auditory system. And so when the brain hears that data feed, it's happening the instant before it's going to misfire again. So the software will calculate the duration and the rhythm of that instability firing. And when it comes around the bend again, and it's just about to misfire a millisecond before, it gets the heads up through the hearing. Now, here's how scary intelligent the brain is. The brain goes, ah, oh, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to show me that when I fire this way, the same thing happens. But you gave me the heads up so I can do a 180 and I can fire in the other direction. And the software says, well, how'd you like that? And the brain goes, oh, I feel better, right? My arousal and anxiety went down. Software says, okay, would you like to do that again? And the brain goes, oh, hell yeah, right? And so six to eight times per second for 33 minutes, there is this elegant dance or exchange of data between the brain and the software that's customizing that protocol for that brain for that day, which will change and it will re-customize the protocol for that brain the following day for the next session. And this is very different than the old one-trick pony type of neurofeedback. Wow. Hmm. So you, how, how often do you do the sessions? Well, um, <clears throat> with, uh, with uh, the COVID lockdowns, everything is telehealth. So what we do is we actually uh, consult people over the phone. We'll have them fill out intake forms. We make sure they're an absolute good candidate. Because not everybody is. So we're very selective on who we take. And then we'll ship the equipment to them, and it's sanitized with rubbing alcohol, so there's no cross-contamination at all. And they'll do uh, one session uh, each day for three days and then take a day off because the brain is learning a tremendous amount, and there's a lot happening between where one session ends and another one begins as far as the brain taking that information and reconstitu reconstituting itself. So we give the brain a day off so we can get through those 15 sessions in about 21 days. And then when they're done with the equipment, uh, the reverse happens. They clean it up, uh, they pack it up and send it back to us. And then we repackage it, resanitize it, and send it to the next person. Mm. That yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the Authenticity Show needs to try this out. I know. I mean, I Seriously, think, this sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. fabulous. Yeah, we yeah. could do that. We could yeah. do that. Let's, so, let's, let's do that. And yeah. the cool thing is, is that the brain will choose like an action item list of the most egregious offenders, right? And insomnia and anxiety tend to be the two top on the list. Mm -hmm. And insomnia and anxiety are kind of like two sides of the same coin. One exacerbates the other. When people don't sleep, they're exhausted the next day, right? So they're pounding the caffeine, right? They're struggling through the day. They're really afraid because they don't know if they're gonna make it to the end of the day, right? And then they have that preoccupied pre pre fear or phobia that they're not going to fall asleep again. And so they fall asleep with that anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so the anxiety makes the insomnia worse. And then the insomnia and the exhaustion makes the anxiety worse. So it's a downward spiral. It really is. So mm -hmm. it addresses mm -hmm. both of those at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then once we see movement for that, then the brain will start moving down the list and it will start refining the brain waves for a focus concentration, mood stability, the ability to enjoy things and hobbies that we didn't before, uh, the ability to listen uh, without interrupting uh, is a big thing for people. 
um, and just general overall waking up, feeling rested, feeling good, like you got plenty left in the tank after your five o'clock, you know, shift is done, you know, and that's what people need. So it's not just about restoring insomnia or restoring sleep. It's about giving people their lives back. A lot of times people will, you know, have a beer or two or a glass of wine before bed and there's an immediate feeling of being more relaxed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and there's no denying that it that it is relaxing um, temporarily when you mm-hmm. when you drink. And when people are healthy and it's consumed in a healthy way, there's probably no overall bad effect um, long term. However, if you have anxiety and if you drink, your sleep's not gonna be as good that night. Even a little bit of alcohol can cause you not to go into the REM Mm -hmm. cycle, in which case you're not recharging the amygdala. And now the amygdala is, is agitated. And when you wake up and throughout the day, they've done tests on this with people, Mm -hmm. people will interpret neutral faces as aggressive faces. So there's more of a likelihood to, to feel agitated and, and anxious. Um, and it's a never-ending cycle because they, they realize how it felt the other night when they when they had some wine, so they do it again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're chronically underslept, and and they've said um, uh, that when they were looking at alcoholism and and um, domestic violence and things like that, that mm-hmm. it wasn't so much that the alcohol and being drunk was a was a direct route to the the violence. It was an indirect route because of the chronic lack of sleep that mm-hmm. turns people. I mean, it would turn anybody batty. Yeah, you know, a little psychotic, you know, over time, and so any unresolved stuff or in patterns and compulsions around that they haven't dealt with, around dealing with um, feeling insecure or angry or whatever, mm-hmm. get aggravated like crazy because they make the right. list, you know, inflamed, you know, to to sure. to put a that way, and so there's more of a tendency to snap and to beat on somebody or right. to, right. you know, why yeah. are you looking at me like that? Yeah, you know, yeah, and I hear uh, that tone, you know, yeah. just yeah, yeah, nutty. And I would say that 70 to 80% of the breakups or divorces that happen are a direct result of uh, sleep problems. Yeah. And it's a family problem because when one person doesn't sleep right, their partner is hypervigilant, mm-hmm. right? Like if I roll over too loud or yes. if I get up and go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. it's going to wake them up and they're not going to back to sleep. So they start having insomnia problems, yeah. right? And then the kids... And kids are very, very good at reading parents. So the kids know there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And they can see that dad's got short fuse syndrome, right? Where he's snapping at the drop of a hat, right? And so they realize that there's a problem with the sleep. And then they become hypervigilant and they're afraid about sleeping, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's devastating for the whole family. It's viral. And, yeah, and that's just the microcosm. The macrocosm is uh, the uh, uh, the uh, shuttle discovery. Mm-hmm. That tragedy mm-hmm. was directly related to somebody on the ground or several people on the ground uh, being chronically sleep deprived and making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right? Chernobyl, same thing. Wow. Same thing, right? Wow. Chernobyl was the worst... A nuclear disaster in human history, and it was because people were chronically sleep deprived. Hmm. So it's a big, big deal. Yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. Wow, wow. I just got a vision of a TED talk with you um, showing images of Chernobyl and 
you know, the shuttle and all these things yeah. and people not knowing what, what you're going to say per se, but you're just showing these powerful images and talking and describing the stats on it sure. and then switching to the next and the next and the next and then talking about the chronic sleep and then getting into the neurofeedback, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right, yeah. I think that that would be pretty awesome. So I'm uh, just saying it, mm -hmm. it was said on the authenticity show first. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love out. to do TED, but TED's <laughs> on lockdown right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't yeah. be forever. No, it won't. I it could won't. totally see you. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, it would have such a, be yeah. such a profound uh, and stark contrast mm -hmm. to be able to present a solution like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. After showing the trauma, and then oh, boom. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, know. you want to talk yeah. a little bit about the trauma? Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the first protocol addresses the outside cortical layer, right? Which is kind of an echo chamber for hypervigilance. So prior to COVID, uh, people would have uh, traumatic experiences and it would have an effect on their deep brain or the limbic system. So we kind of have two brains in one. We've got brain 2.0, which is the outside cortical layer, neocortex meaning new. And then the limbic system where the amygdala is, uh, which is the fight or flight survival mechanism, is brain 1.0. And that's the brain that we use before we develop the use of language. And so the first protocol that we were talking about addresses that outside cortical layer because mm. that needs to be stabilized first, right? And we get good mileage from that. But there are certain portions of the population that have had traumatic experiences. Sometimes they don't even remember what they were, right? What can be traumatic to a little kid may not be a big deal to the parents around them. And the kid forgets, and the parents forget, but the brain does not forget. Mm -hmm. And so we can see what's called high alpha spiking coming from that part of the brain, right? And so that amygdala, that, amygdala, the, the, that part of the brain, when it's trying to uh, calm itself and stabilize itself, it's on this negative tape loop because that part of the brain doesn't understand human language. That's why talk therapy doesn't work all that well for trauma, right? Mm -hmm. It also uh, has its own language, which is imagery, myth, right? Um, mysticism, right? Kind of Jungian type of stuff. And so it has to be dealt with on those levels. And so we developed a protocol that was originally uh, 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 produced uh, back in the 60s for meditation. And, but they, they, uh, the people that repurposed that, they were allowed to use it for unresolved trauma. And it works fantastic. And it's very, very gentle on the brain. And so you can see uh, these high alpha spikes on the screen. And when the protocol is running, it has two components to it. One is to use two sounds to gently cradle the brain in that hypnagogic gateway or that twilight state where it's not quite awake and not quite asleep. And that's a very vulnerable place for a traumatic brain to be in, right? Because it's like a dog or a cat who's traumatized being forced to lay on its back and show its belly. But over, uh, over a number of sessions, the brain becomes more comfortable uh, in that state. And then it's, allowed, and then it's allowed to be able to process through that trauma or that high alpha. And it's pretty miraculous on how it happens. So as you, Carlos, know, you know, trauma presents itself with hypervigilance, mm -hmm. which is this uh, fear on a continuum. And it's not a logical fear. 
you know, people will get these triggers, which are subconscious cues, audio and visual, that uh, that incites this cascade of high alpha in that part of the brain, and they will find themselves in a complete panic, right? And with absolute mortal fear, and they have no idea why, right? Because the cues and the triggering happen so subtly and so subconsciously that they didn't have a logic or reason to connect it to, right? And so that tends to get a lot better, right? People that have uh, really severe trauma, they never feel safe in the world. And it kind of, kind of presents itself like, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, but around some corner, something bad is really going to happen. And they wake up that way, and they go to bed that way, and their dreams uh, um, manifest that too. So it's literally like solitary confinement. So usually from session one to five, we'll see uh, additional improvements in sleep. And that reactivity and the hypervigilance will start to come down. Uh, after about 15 or 20 sessions, it goes down and it stays down. And then they're able to, uh, you know, they still will have triggers, but the emotional intensity that's connected to them is a lot less. You know, it's a lot less. And what we're finding is that before COVID, about maybe 30% of the people would test uh, with further brainwave signature for mild to moderate trauma. Now it's about 85 to 90%. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. It's wow. yeah. very significant. And children, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids are, are, are presenting hmm. with mild to moderate trauma. Well, you know, and some of it's really severe too. Yeah, there's mass fear. There is. Well, yeah. I mean, everything has been disrupted. Human beings have yeah. been reading each other through facial features for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And within a year... That has been cut off from us. Yeah, everybody's got a mask on. Mm -hmm. That is a huge blow on a very subtle level. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I totally feel it. Right? I'm missing hugs. Oh yeah, like mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I always knew that I that I'm wired, you know, for uh, physical affection. But I think at some level, most human beings are. Mm -hmm. I'm just more aware of it. Sure. You know, I yeah. definitely feel it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And loneliness is like a slow cancer. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, pet owners, God love them, but you cannot replace human touch with a dog. Mm -mm. You can't, you know, and people slowly get very nutty and they're the last person to know. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was before COVID. Now <clears throat> it's like the national pastime. You know, it used to be baseball. Now it's isolation and loneliness. It is well, and yeah. speaking to the to the dog comment, um, because there are lots of uh, benefits to having a dog. It does warm your heart. It brings mm -hmm. love into mm -hmm. your home. Mm -hmm. It builds connection and compassion. All sorts of good things. Not saying any of that. Um, however, it doesn't really replace right. a human being holding you. Yeah, it doesn't. It's better than nothing. But it's people, better than nothing. Yeah. But people, mm -hmm. and if you talk to them, they'll admit it. They think, "Oh, I don't need people anymore. I've got my dogs." Yeah. You know, and that's, th 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> and you can tell because of the other patterns in their, in their persona, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, what they show. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I feel you on that yeah. <laughs> for sure. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I, I mean, I love animals. I love snuggling up uh, to dogs, but what I'm craving is, is to hold a human being. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, different. Exactly. Very different thing. So I think maybe what the next thing we can do is work on an arrangement where I get you guys a system for a couple of weeks. Wow, mm -hmm. yeah. Right? And you do sessions, and I interview you. 
That'd be awesome, Beautiful. right? That'd be fabulous. Right? Yeah. yeah. And maybe even do some for your wife. Oh. Right? Wow. Interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. It would be interesting to see how that would go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it'd be interesting to see. We'll, let's, we'll, we'll, so let's definitely talk about sure, that. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. and that way you'll have, guys will have an experiential understanding and how it works. And then we can even do a follow up pod, podcast. That would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love, I love that. that. We can talk about our progress. And, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about the uh, the trauma, is, is it more or less like the the same um, kind of approach, but just a phase two of that approach? Kind of like, like in other words, you're still using the same equipment mm-hmm. to to deal with it. Um, it's just a different set of pro- protocols. That's correct. Okay. It's a combination gotcha. of the two protocols, which is really our signature. Cool. Yeah, mm. that sounds incredible and mm-hmm. incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. had a, a, a client that came in with us. Well, actually, two, interestingly, Satch and I have talked about how we get like the same complaints within like a week of each other. It's it's weird. Like they're all hooked up to the cosmic internet and they, they hear each other or something. But anyway, so I, I had two sleep phobias come in and I had never even heard of sleep phobia mm-hmm. before. Very common, yeah. Um, and I had never heard of it. I thought, how, how the hell can you be afraid of sleep? But... Uh, to that degree, you know, um, but, but anyway, um, and I was able to help them to, to sleep, mm-hmm. but, uh, and it was rapid. I did it within three sessions, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. um, hearing about all this neurofeedback, I think, man, if they could do that too, would be getting underneath and whatever else was going on that I didn't touch mm-hmm. in that experience, you know, mm-hmm. so I was very glad to be able to be of service and help them, but there's probably other stuff going on yeah. in their yeah. neurophysiology and psychology. And, and it seems like this would be really um, beneficial. Well, and it is, and it, and it can be, and should be a team effort, mm-hmm. you know, NLP practitioners, psychotherapists, a lot of times, all of us, we get very territorial, especially with our clients because we don't lose them. Right. right? We don't want them to spend their hard earned money with other practitioners. And that, that's really hard on everybody. Well, it's not putting the patient first or the client well, first. Yeah. But we know a lot of people that, that they, they roll that way. Yeah. You know. So David, um, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out more? How do they stay connected with you? So the best way to get a hold of us is to either call us or send us an email. You can go to our website address, which is uh, www.sleeprecovery, all one word, no space, usa.com. Uh, our toll-free number is 888-866-7378 or 888-866-REST. And our email address is sleeprecovery at yahoo.com. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of fun and very oh, yeah. a lot of fabulous. Good, good exchange here. Yeah, yeah thank Appreciate you. this. Thank, thank you. you for coming in. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Satch, always a pleasure, man. All right, likewise. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest, David Mayan. If you'd like to learn more about the work David Mayan does with sleep recovery, you can go to sleeprecoveryusa.com or send him an email at sleeprecovery at yahoo.com. My name is Oliver Altine. I produce this show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. 
please subscribe to The Authenticity Show if you haven't already done so wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. That means like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, check out our YouTube page. And you can find our website at AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day. Thank you.